On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. When Dwayne Perkins' improv group 3 Pete signed a web series deal with Comedy Central, it was only natural that they would need sketches. Dwayne had already written one, a horror comedy sketch called The Blackening that he chose because the quote, production aspect would really add to the horror, end quote. Luckily, not only did Comedy Central pick it, but the short skit of the blackening also went viral, and one of the people who saw it was Tracy Oliver. She called Dwayne and said they had to make the blackening into a feature film. So Tracy Oliver and Dwayne Perkins co-wrote the feature-length version of The Blackening together, and that version came across director Tim Story's desk. And the rest, as they say, is history. Premiering at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival before opening in theaters nationwide the weekend of Juneteenth 2023, the film grossed $18 million at the box office and opened to positive reviews from critics. Featuring a mainly all-black cast, a black director, and black writers, Tim Story himself said, quote, We're kind of hugging the black culture. Although we're having a lot of fun with it, we're showing how much we love us, end quote. So, think twice about how well you play card games, and maybe brush up on your friend's trivia. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. This is Katie, and I am under the weather. It's my turn this week, uh, so if I sound weird, that's why. And hi there, I'm Brittany. Um, right now, I'm feeling fine, so hopefully, I will stay that way. So fingers crossed. You got you got it out of the way a couple weeks ago. Yes, yes. So yeah, it's something's making the round. So because my coworkers just like take turns being sick, it seems. Yeah. All I know is it wasn't strep, flu, or COVID, but my lymph node has been swollen. Out of my throat. Ooh, no. um, so we had to wait a day to record because I wanted to be able to give this movie like my attention. And I woke up from a nap yesterday thinking I was going to be feeling better and got a fever again. And I was like, well, maybe not tonight. But how are you, Brett, other than the chaos that is the last few weeks? I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I've been like having like some fatigue issues. I don't know if it's just like the weather because we have weather that goes from being like sunny and warm to freezing. I don't know if it's that, but I'm I'm making it. How about you, Katie? I know I know it's been crazy for you in the last couple of weeks. It's been crazy. So I had a car accident that someone hit Scott's car, and his car is going to be fixed maybe the end of this week, maybe early next week. So that's good. But then my car is not going to be able to be fixed, oh, so no. I have to go get a new car. So if anybody has any ideas about where to get a good car for not that much money, uh, I've never, I, I didn't think in a million years my car would not be fixable. So, because it didn't seem 
as damaged as apparently it was. And it's an older car that just ran really well. So it is what it is, you know, mm. but it's been, and I've been sick. So they're luckily giving me like, they were like, can you go pick up the stuff out of your car today? And I was like, I have been in bed for five days. I'm a boot real honest. And she was like, we'll, we'll let them hold it for a week. I was like, thank you. Thank you very much. So it's been an emotional roller coaster ride for sure. But I was excited to do this movie because I saw the trailer for it probably a year before it came out and was like, that looks hilarious. And I love like social commentary, comedy movies and stuff. And I recognize some of the actors, but not all of the actors. So I was, I'm always like, ooh, some like new faces. That's awesome. And it seemed like a very like, almost scary movie-esque kind of setup where it was making fun of horror movies, which is kind of what it seems like they were going for. And it has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. Yeah. So this was very fun. It's a fun watch for sure. Not very, like, overly serious. Like, I would say this is like if Get Out was only a comedy. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. Is that in interviews again and again, you know, they were like, how did you balance the horror with the comedy? And I'm like, it's not scary. Now, maybe I'm desensitized because we watched there were so like many scary two movies. Parts. Yeah. There were like two parts where I was like, ooh. And then like, but it, and the gore was good. But it was, it was, it was like reanimator, like very funny. Yeah. Very like horror comedy. Straight this would be scary comedy. to people who don't watch horror hardly ever. Yes. Yeah. But that's not really the point of it. Um, yeah. You can still watch the short on YouTube on Comedy Central. I love the short. I know. And it's very about that. funny. Yeah. It's, it is super funny. I will say so I watched the movie first and then I watched the short. I laughed more at the short and I, I think it was a pacing thing. I feel like they were like the short was very boom, 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 boom. Yes. And I think the movie, like, if I have to give a criticism, it's like I feel like the pacing could have picked up just a hair. And I feel like some of the comedy would have been a little more well received. But I feel like the movie's also trying to be a little more realistic than the short is. Because the short is very, like, exaggerated and very much like. It's a skit. Like, it's yeah. a sketch. So it's, you know, no one's, like, a, like it's all that they're not real people, but it's, like, everyone's very exaggerated. Whereas, I will say with this movie, 90% of the characters seem like they could be real people if a little bit exaggerated for a film, for comedy. 10% of those people are a complete caricature of a human being, and that's probably my biggest problem with the movie. Because it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. But other than that, the movie looks great. It's well directed and everyone gives really good performances. Yeah. So I'm excited to like get into it. Did you hear about the crazy, um, like how the game in the movie was, they tried, someone tried to sue them because they were copying a movie? I read a little, another game? I read a little bit about that on Wikipedia, but I didn't go like in debt in multiple articles about it. Well, so <laughs> I was curious. So this is from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zahara, Ariel, and Jariah, Bobo, claimed the movie infringed on their screenplay, Southern Education, and card game, Black Card Revoked, and attempted to get the film's release delayed. Mm-hmm. On the day of the film's release, Eric Pedersen, 
of Deadline Hollywood reported that California Judge Dale S. Fisher rejected Ariel and Bobo's bid, saying plaintiffs present little to no detail regarding either the game or the screenplay, and there is no reason to believe that the expression of ideas in either has been copied in the making of the film. Mm. So I didn't get a hold of the screenplay in question, but I did look up Black Card Revoked the game. It looks exactly like Cards Against Humanity, which I was kind of like, well, that's ironic that you're like saying someone copied you, but you copied another game, which I'm not blaming anyone for doing Cards Against Humanity. But I mean, it's just a bunch of cards. There's no board part at all. So I I don't really know, except that it's a trivia game. Maybe it's just one of those things where people just have similar ideas and whoever gets to do it first is just the one that seems like it's the original idea. Maybe they all came up with the idea at the same time. But also the fact that the Comedy Central short was already out. I don't know. But I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia. I do want to say, before we start, I am a white cisgendered lady, as is Brittany. We're white people. So obviously this movie isn't targeted for us. Yeah. But I also don't feel like you can't enjoy this movie from any aspect Especially yeah. if you're an American who grew up around the same time we did. If you're a millennial, especially, a lot of the pop culture trivia you'll probably get. But I do think there are jokes that went over my head because I am a white person. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, like, there was some that I was aware of. I kind of like that, though, because I think if it's a movie about a culture, whether it's a, a racially influenced culture or, like, musical theater people having inside jokes that only people who are in that culture will get is kind of the point. So I wouldn't say that's a negative, just maybe a little, like, by the yeah. way. And I can appreciate that, that, you know, like, this movie wasn't made for white people. I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. There's nothing wrong with that. I did find a few things interesting. So something that, like, I saw was that, like, there was a lot of improv that went into this movie, which I think makes a lot of sense in retrospect, too. (laughs) Yes. But they said that's what they were even saying. They're just like, we had a really great script that we can kind of springboard off and improv a lot. But something Dwayne Perkins said that I thought was really interesting, Dwayne is the writer, and he wrote the original um, improv sketch, but he also- And he's Dwayne. Yeah, he also plays Dwayne in the movie. <laughs> he uh, he did an interview with RogerEbert.com called Jumanji Meets Saul, and Dwayne Perkins <laughs> in the blackening, because I guess a lot of their friends was like, oh, it reminds us of Jumanji at the beginning, kind of. Yeah. And he said, I'm sorry, in real life, I'm not going to go in a dark basement, so why would I do it in a movie? Create a movie for the people that watch movies and don't do that. And he goes, we wanted to create something for the people that yell at the screen. And I was like, okay, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Because, uh, you know, there is, like, times, and I, I love it. So I know we talked about this, like, going to the movie theaters. One of my favorite things about, so if I'm going to go see a movie like Oppenheimer, I don't want people to talk at all during it. Like, I need pitch right. silence. But if I go see a scary movie, it almost elevates the experience when people, like, yell at the screen. Because it's yeah. like they're invested within the movie yeah. and the universe and they're caring about what happens to the character. So when yeah. they're like, don't go in that fucking basement. Like I want every movie to be the movie, every horror movie, every like slasher movie, I should say, maybe not like a hereditary, but I want every slasher movie to be like the movie premiere at the beginning of scream Two. except I don't want anyone murdered. I do like 
what A24 has done for her and the fact that we have in Hereditary and Lamb. And Katie was there with me during the Lamb moment oh, where you great. just hear, what the fuck? Like, you know, it was like, great. you're used to that in A24 films. Yes. So. Yeah. Which that's also fun too. But like, also like when we saw Titan and you could just tell everyone was just wriggling in their seat because of the body horror. Mm. I will say there's definitely a lot of like pop culture references that you probably will only get. If you're a millennial as well. And which is why I'm like, this is probably made for people our age. Yeah. To be honest. Or like a little older or a little younger. Um, I do think one of the best jokes was like people not trying not to do what people in horror movies do is like the one character who her dad's white and they keep joking about her dad being white and how, you know, she's like super white. But of course, like. The whole thing. But so she finally is like, we have to, and she like almost throws up. We have to almost throws up. And then she's like, we have to split up. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. She's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> she's like, but the can't. And they're like, oh my God. I was like, because that is something only like white people would say in a horror movie. I'm like, yeah, I don't know why people are like, let's split up. Yeah. Which is a big joke in Scary Movie too, as well. Because Dwayne Perkins says, if they do a sequel... They would prefer to do it like the scary movie movies did it. Hoover was also created by black creators, by the way. The Waynes brothers. Maybe they will get to do another blackening movie. Yeah. I don't know. And that's what they say they're pre-production on it. They're like writing the script right now for it. So if you like this movie, there's a possibility that there'll be a second one and maybe a third. I will say I was impressed with the director they got for this movie Mm -hmm. because I've seen many of his films. Tim Story. I had no idea he directed Fantastic Four. I did just one for both of them. Yeah, I was like, okay, didn't know that. Also, Think Like a Man, which I've seen, which is a pretty classic movie. The Ride Along trilogy, I say trilogy because apparently the third one is also in pre-production. And Barbershop, which is a fucking classic. But the one that got me, because I saw this movie in theaters, because I really like Queen Latifah, and I was really, ever since I saw her in Chicago, I was like, she is fucking amazing and fierce, and I went and saw this movie, and it was kind of silly, but I really loved it. Taxi, where she is like a taxi driver, and Jimmy Fallon is like a New York cop, but I was like... Dang, I love that movie. It's so bad. It's so stupid, but I love it. Yeah, no, I there's some movies that I'm like are not the best movies that I love. I did find it interesting too. So according to Wikipedia, he is the first African American director with movies that have grossed over one billion at the box office. So that's, that's pretty cool awesome. too. It's interesting because like he's directed like a lot of different movies, but he even directed the 2021 live action Tom and Jerry. And I was like, that is interesting. Yeah, I remember that fan- coming out. The guy who did Fantastic Four did Barbershop and the Tom and Jerry live action movie. He's like a jack of all trades. Yeah. Like, he's done, like, everything. I also found it cool. He went to high school with Regina King and Nia Long. Oh. Who are both really great actresses. Especially, like, early 2000s actresses. But, like, Regina King, we d- she was in, um, fuck. Master. The movie. Master. Yeah. That we did, like, not too long ago. And she was also in all the scary movie movies. And then also, he was a rapper on Ice-T's record label, Rhyme Syndicate. And his rap name was Mr. C-Taste. Or MC Taste. I'm sorry, I misread. Mr. C-Taste. It's MC Taste. Oh my god. But he quit rapping. Oh, this is really sad. He quit rapping after his friend was killed in a gang shooting. Oh my god. According gosh. to Wikipedia. That is sad. Or IMDb. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting. And then we already talked about Dwayne Perkins. Yes. 
who I love that not only did he write this, you know, short, um, he's also nominated for a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Writing in a Variety Series for The Amber Ruffin Show. But also he wrote 14 episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a personal favorite. And I love that. And then Tracy Oliver is a big writer. Yeah. She's had a lot of, like, really good shows and movies. Like, that Girls Trip movie, which I still have not seen, but it looked really good. First, The First Wives Club series, which I'm very iffy about them turning movies into series. But it's been, I think, pretty big hit. And then Harlem, which I've heard really good things about. Yeah, and that's a, there was a fun fact on Wiki about her, too. So Girls Trip made her the first African-American woman to write a film that grossed over $100 million. And she also oh. runs a production company called the Tracy Yvonne, Tracy Yvonne Productions. And the same thing with Tim Story. He runs a production company that started with his future wife, now his wife, but when they started it, they weren't married, um, the Story Company. So it's like oh. both... Writer and director are also, they own their own production companies. I guess, do we want to go ahead and do a little rundown and then we'll get into spoilers? Because I will say, like, this movie, I don't know, like, I guess spoilers are important. There is a kind of a twisty thing at the end. So, yeah, I would say this one, probably avoid spoilers if you're going to watch the film. Yeah. You know, if you want to be, if you want to try to figure out who the killers, killer or killers are. You should probably, like, stop listening after the rundown. But here we go. Several old college friends run a house in the woods for a Juneteenth party and find themselves trapped with a serial killer who wants them to prove their quote-unquote blackness by playing a very creepy board game. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Yeah. And racially charged board game, if you didn't guess already. So, a lot. I will. I also have historical facts, if you're wondering where the look comes from, because I went down a rabbit hole because it was much more complicated than I realized. But that is The Blackening. It is currently streaming on Stars, which I totally forgot to say at the beginning because I'm sick. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I forgot to say it too. But it's streaming on Stars right now. And I'll kind of run through some of the actors too, because we actually had a lot of Grindhouse Girls alumni in this movie. Yep. Which I was really excited about, including... So we had Yvonne Orji, as, who's Morgan, who's like the first person we see, who rents the cabin. And she's at Insecure Night School, but Spontaneous. She's the agent in Spontaneous. Yes. Or one of the agents. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then her boyfriend is played by Jay Farrow, who was an unsane bad hair, and he's been he was on SNL for like 16 years. And I was like... He's been in two of our movies. Yeah. And then Cinqua Wells, who plays Namdi, who's Lisa's unfaithful college ex, who's trying to not be unfaithful this time. And he's originally from South Africa, because they keep talking about that. He was in Nanny. He was the love interest, Malik, in Nanny. I was like, oh my god. He also was in a ton of other stuff. Teen Wolf, the series, and Friday Night Lights, the series. And the new White Men Can't Jump. But I still thought that was impressive to have, like, three people. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely. I will say, I like that most of the characters are very, like, real people. So we've got Grace Byers, who's Allison. And she, Grace is, I mean, sorry. Allison is best friends with Lisa and Dwayne. She's the one who they keep making fun of her because her dad is white. And everyone teases her about it. She was a pretty prominent role on Empire. And then she's also in the Harlem series and an upcoming series called 
Phoenix. I had uh, Melvin Gregg as King, and I think King's probably mm-hmm. my favorite character, if I'm being honest. Uh, so he oh. started the film The Way Back, as well as High Flying Bird. But he was also in the TV series American Vandal and Snowfall, and he played pretty <laughs> prominent roles in that. Uh, and Ben Chandler in the Hulu miniseries Nine Perfect Strangers. So I, I'll be yeah. honest, I never saw him in any other of his other stuff, but I really enjoyed his performance. I really liked his character in this movie. I did too. He So they're like, they keep calling him like a tough guy because apparently he used to be on the rougher side of things. And so they're like, oh, you're always packing, right? And he's like, no. And then... Because, you know, the infamous scene is they're all trying to prove who's the blackest person to sacrifice. He's like, I married a white lady. Shut up. So, but he is really funny. I like... I also like... Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, I think... And I only watched this once, but I think they were arguing about earlier in the movie because it's like, yeah, he married yes. white, but he's like, she's an ethnic white. And then I think it's Nandi who's <laughs> like, she's a pumpkin spice dog kisses on the mouth white and i'm like yeah, yeah. that sounds about right so <laughs> which is a joke watch- from the first one from the thing because this one guy's like i'm so white i let my dog kiss me on the mouth yeah and I was like, so i was like guilty. yeah it's like there's a few things in the skit that i saw where they recycled it into the main film too yeah yeah which i will say i think the, the skit the difference is it is a lot about black culture, but it is a lot of poking fun at white culture, mm-hmm. which is maybe why I laughed more at that, because I think it was made more for a broader audience. And I think this one was more concentrated for, for black culture, which is, you know, totally cool. But I was like, mm. one of my favorite moments in the skit is like, I, I forget the character, but they're just like, she's the blackest one. She's literally wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, and you see her for a second, but then it's like the shirt's inside out. You can see the tag yeah. sticking out at the front. And she, she puts her hand over the tag, yeah. and she's like, what, what t-shirt? She's like, don't, they're, like, they're like, what happened to your shirt? And she's like, she starts talking. It's just like really, but it's once again, it's a skit, so the humor is so quick with it. Yes. It is really funny. And then the, the and the skit, the deciding factor is who has hot sauce in their bag? And like, the the person who voted for Donald Trump is the one that gets, you know, yeah. sacrificed. But, <laughs> like, everyone else brings out... They all have hot, hot sauce, sauce in their back, yeah. I did... I had seen Jermaine Fowler a few times before. He was a small part in Judas and the Black Messiah. He plays Clifton, who's, like, a nerdy acquaintance. And he's in Sorry to Bother You, which I still need to watch. I'm mad at myself. That's a good satire. It's a good satire. He also plays, uh, he also is coming into America. He's Akeem's long lost son and coming to, to America. Oh, yes. And I did just watch him in the first episode of A Murder at the End of the World, which Mm. he's good at. He's like playing like a filmmaker. Oh, okay. And then... I think X is the next person I had listed. Oh, X Mayo. Yeah, Shanika. Yes. Which, her name is... Oh, I never know how to pronounce this name, which is why I think she goes by X Mayo. It's, X, it's X-O-C-H-I-T-L. Oh. Exotl, I think? I don't know. There wasn't any pronunciation guide mm. on the IMDb. She's like... Shanika's like the rowdy wine lady yeah. of the group. Which is fun. I think we all have. She's like the fun one. I like one of my, and this is actually one of my pros in this movie is so you have like a queer character, but then you have like a plus size leading lady, and then you have like the biracial character. So there's not, there's diversity. Like it's a black film, but still there's a lot of diversity within this movie. Yeah. Which I appreciate because sometimes, yeah, even like when people are trying to be quote unquote 
diverse. They're like, well, maybe we got a diverse cast racially, but, like, everyone's straight. Yeah. Or, you know, or everybody's There's nothing wrong with either one, necessarily. But I'm like, it's nice, like, because I think... And maybe it's because it's written by someone who is more of a millennial who grew up accepting people from different backgrounds. And, you know, I think our generation really was encouraged to mingle with everybody and all of our friends. At least that's how I was always, like, raised. And I feel like it was a big thing in the pop culture is, like, like everybody is, it's you know, especially in America, like, it's a big melting pot. And I think because of that, I think a lot of us think about that more. And maybe it's a more true to life for us. Yeah. Whereas I think maybe a couple generations before, people did have a hard time writing a more diverse cast because, like, that wasn't the reality of the world, unfortunately. So, and I hope, I hope it continues to get more diverse. But I will say, like, we were talking about, like, bodies, bodies, bodies a couple, a little while ago. And, like, even, like, those kinds of movies that are coming out now or, like, bottoms Mm -hmm. like where like the casts are just like they're being written by like young people who are like diverse and like there's so many such a breadth of characters and it's nice well also so queer queer actors portraying queer characters because like we were talking about with coma domingo and rustin like this is the first time a gay actor has played a gay character and been nominated in like decades at this point it's ridiculous that 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 is a fact. I'm happy for him, yeah. but I'm like, what? Yeah. Why? But X Mayo, uh, she was in the Farewell American Auto series and an episode of Swarm. But she's also written 399 episodes of The Daily Show. That's impressive. Yeah. So I think when Trevor Noah was there, I can't remember the years. Like it had the year span, but I didn't write it down. But I think it ended a couple years ago, so I want to say it was probably that. So she's also a writer. And then I think the only person we haven't, the only two people we haven't mentioned is um, Antoinette Robertson as Lisa, who she's, I don't know if I would, she's not, no one's really a main character in this. It's very much an ensemble piece. Yeah. They which all I get, like. They all get kind of equal screen time. Yes. Yeah. Except for the first two people that get killed. Yeah, true. But that's, it's fair. But, you know, but she's a lawyer and she's recently reunited with her unfa- formerly unfaithful boyfriend from college. And she's in the Dear White People series, um, which was written by the same person who wrote Bad Hair, I do believe. And a show, I have not watched this, but I have seen the previews for this on television, The Have and The Have Nots. It seems mm. like a soap opera. And then she was also in the series, this is... I'm not saying this is a good series, and this I just remembered this series like coming on the CW, I think, or maybe when it was still the WB, uh, Heart of Dixie, mm. where like it's like I'm a city doctor and I'm in Dixie, which is terrible, terrible. But her last name was Hart, H A R T, and that's what it says. Oh, oh, Diedrich Bader is a person who I never remember his name, but I always remember his face, and he plays Ranger White. That's his last name. Also, he is white. Yes. And um, he's a park ranger who seems trustworthy, but maybe too trustworthy. But he was the dojo guy in Napoleon Dynamite. He's the the roommate in Office Space. He's like, has anyone ever asked you if you have the case of the Mondays? Hell no, man. What the fuck? Like, that's, that's that guy. And then uh, he was on the Drew Harry show forever. And I think his character's name was like, Oswald Lee Harvey. Yeah. 
Oh. Like, it's a big joke. He also has, like, a very lucrative voice career, but he's played Batman Mm -hmm. in multiple animated films and TV series since Batman the Brave and the Bold in 2008. I haven't seen it all of Batman the Brave and the Bold, Bold, but the first couple episodes I did see, I actually really liked. But yeah, I'm like, God, you've been playing Batman now for like 16 years across all That's these crazy. animated projects. That's pretty impressive. Oh, also, there is someone, I won't say who they play, um, but they do a lot of stunt work. Um, and they're James Preston Rogers. Well, I guess we're in spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. We're in spoilers. They play the twins, the redneck twins, Clive and Camden Connor. And uh, they're mostly, they do a lot of stunt acting, which is like, they act, but a lot of the reason is because they also do stunts. But they've been on the Righteous Gemstones, Pixels, and that Frontier show that um, Jason Momoa's been in. Yeah. But I think that's, that's everybody. It's not, it's like a big enough cast where there's a lot of people to talk about, but it's, it's an ensemble. Like, it doesn't go beyond that because they're really confined to the cabin so i think the thing that gets most people probably is the board game and i think that's the most different aspect from the skit is because like instead of it just being like this random serial killer is trying to kill us and they want us to sacrifice the quote-unquote blackest person uh which is how the the short is set up it's like morgan and her and um sean her boyfriend they're getting like everything set up for the weekend and for and it's Juneteenth weekend. And apparently in college, they all used to have a Juneteenth party together because it's in the middle of the summer, but they had in a really long time because they've all been like after college been doing their own stuff. And it was like the first time everyone's getting together in like many years all at once. And so they're really excited um, to start it. And they have stumbled upon this game room and there's this, board game and it says the blackening and they're like what the fuck is this which is exactly how i think most people would react to a board game that's called the blackening it's like what the fuck okay Ooh, what kind of yankee doodle what the fuck heart of dixie shit is this and so they you know open it up and it is like jumanji i think you're right but instead of like having the little crystal thing that the words come up on in the middle it's a face of a quote-unquote little black Sambo character, which I say that because of the historical reference. Uh, If you didn't know, because I I said I went down a rabbit hole because I didn't realize how, like, okay, so obviously it's like, if you've seen minstrel shows, I mean, not live, obviously, because they don't do them anymore because it's illegal to do blackface. But if you've seen people, like, you know, historical references to blackface, It's, like, literally someone with a ink black face, and then they usually have these, like, giant pink lips. And it's really offensive and gross and disgusting, and you shouldn't do it. Apparently in Sephora, there were some little girls in Boston trying to do blackface with makeup. Mm. Uh, That's a bunch of... Did you see that? Mm. Yeah. It's really shitty. Mm -mm. It's disgusting. So... I was curious. I was just, like... I was, like, what? Because I couldn't remember the name. And then someone said Sambo, and I was, like, oh... And so I, I went on Wikipedia, and so, okay, the character is, it started out in 1899 by a British author called Helen Bannerman, and she wrote a book called The Story of Little Black Sambo. Already in our modern era, sounds not great, right? The plot, weirdly, is kind of positive towards the character. He's... 
But it's so confusing because he's a South African child. I thought he was originally, like, Indian. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Indian. South Indian. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Let me retake that. It's confusing because he's a South Indian child. Yeah. Not African. South Indian. So I'm like, okay. But the book is like the little boy, some tigers try to eat him. And he gives them his, like, pretty clothes that his mom gave him. And then they're, the tigers are so vain, they run around each other in circles, and then they turn into ghee, yeah. which is clarified butter. And then his mom makes pancakes. Yeah. But the reason it's racist is, one, there's a bunch of racial slurs used in the book to refer to people in the text. I did not read it. I don't want to read it. But apparently there's a bunch of racial slurs in the book. And the other thing is... Not the British publication, but the first U.S. publication has this really racist depiction of this child. Yeah. And it looks like the Black Sambo character that's on. I guess we can just say Sambo. I'm sorry. I feel weird about it. Again, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to be historically accurate if somebody doesn't know where this comes from. Yeah. What's interesting about the Sambo story is, like, so, like, Katie was saying, it originally came out in 1899, and then, I guess, it gained popularity, and so they were able to do versions in America, but then that's when they illustrated, and the illustrations are widely offensive now. Yes. But what's interesting is that I think the story, my understanding is the story is still published to this day. It's just that it's depicted with more... Like, how the child would have been portrayed in the original. And, like, sometimes they right. change the spelling. Did you see that, though? Where it's, like, they still publish the oh. book, but it's, like, they, they do modifications on the spelling and stuff. Because the I story. Did see in the, yeah. yeah. I did see in the 50s there was an illustrated version where the child, like, looks just looks like a normal Indian, like, South Indian person. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, that's fine. But I don't know. I am assuming they've taken the racial slurs out if they're republishing it. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I think it's like a modern text of it. It's basically, yeah. it's the tiger story with the clothes. Like, it's like... Because I know, and again, I'm, I'm a white person, so I know I only have so much opinion on this. But, like, I remember there being a lot of discussion when I was like, in high school about us reading um, Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. Like, my school was all for it. But, you know, we had a discussion like, hey, there's some language used in here to refer to Jim. Jim, right? I it's feel Jim. like it's Jim, yeah. Jim. It's been a very long time since I read Huckleberry Finn. To refer to Jim. And it's not okay to use. And But back then, people referred to black people this way. And that's why it's in this book. And I haven't written a really long time. But I remember feeling that Jim was a positive cool character who really cared about Huck. But I again, I haven't read it in a really long time, so I really can't remember if the context would still hold up now. But this is not how that book is. I feel that <laughs> way about Huckleberry Finn, but also the K, because we had to read the K when I was like in second or third grade. Oh. And I think it's a character, Timmy, it's like they're shipwrecked and it's a little white boy, a older black oh. man and a cat. And the, the child goes blind during the encounter. So, like, he ends up becoming, like, completely dependent on the on the black man when they're stranded on this island. Yeah, great book. Great written for children. Oh. Does he stop being racist because he doesn't see uh, anything anymore? So, he, he stops being as no. racist. He stops being as prejudiced because he learns that, like, Timothy, I think it's the character's name, Timothy is very much like him. And also, like, Timothy takes care of him. But it's a really, Aww. as with most children's books, it's a very bittersweet story. So, 
so but i remember reading the yeah. k and i really loved the k when i was a kid yeah and i think everybody does everybody know what juneteenth is now yeah i was i actually I know, was about to say that because i know as americans we <laughs> should know but i do know we have some um listeners in other countries and this is still i still can't believe this because honestly i didn't know what juneteenth was until like maybe the last five years so just for to refresh people uh, so the film takes place on June 15th, which, of course, is a federal holiday in the U.S. commemorating the end of slavery, celebrating on the anniversary of oh, June, June 19th. June 19th, 1865. June 19th. Yeah. And so it formally, so this is crazy to think about. It only formally became recognized as a federal holiday in 2021. So it's only been yep. the last two years that most businesses will close on this day, that workers will get paid sometimes depending on the business. But yeah, only in the last yeah, two years. unfortunately. It's crazy. So June 19th. 1865 was when the last group of enslaved people were emancipated or told of the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. It took that long for people to know. In Galveston, Texas is where it originated. But yeah, but it's kind of like a celebration of African-American culture, too. And so, like, yeah, I'm glad it's, like, federally recognized now. But I was... Certainly wasn't something that I was made um, aware of. So, like, civil rights and black history was a big thing in my school. So, like, I'm surprised I didn't know what Juneteenth was until I was an adult. Yeah. And I was like, what's... It's kind of like I never heard about the Tulsa riots and massacre. And I was like... Huh. I was watching Watchmen, the series, and yeah. I was like, what? what? Is this a real thing? And I was like, oh! I can't. Wow. I, I only knew because wow. I came across an article like in my early twenties that was like history events that you should know, and that was one of them. So that's the only reason I knew before Watchmen. I wasn't taught it in school. Yeah, and it's like we <laughs> we live in the South yeah. where we should be teaching it, but yet we're afraid to teach it. Mm. Um, but let's get into the more fun stuff because really this movie is more of a comedy, and it doesn't. It's not super serious, and I think that's why a lot of people can enjoy it. What what were your kinds of pros and cons about this movie? Honestly, uh, so my pros were, like I already mentioned, it's a black film, but it's filled with diversity just because of the characters. Now, I don't know if the actress who plays, because it's Allison, I don't know if the actress who plays Allison is actually biracial, but I did appreciate that they had like a biracial character. I liked that they had a queer character. I liked that they had like a plus size character. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, another thing I really liked yeah. is that they actually, I don't know if it's because the majority of me and my close friends, we basically just give each other shit. Because I know like me and my, right. my one of my best friends, we just call each other bitch back and forth and stuff. So it feels like these Why relationships, not? like the way they give each other hell and kind of like argue and banter with each other, it felt like real, real friendships. Yeah. I like that. I did like that they do say this over and over, especially Tim Story interviews, that they're like, this is a black film made for black people. I like that I'm apologetically black. I can definitely appreciate that. So yeah, yeah. those were my my main pros. What about you? I really liked that all the characters were grounded and seemed like, even though they were a little exaggerated because it's a comedy movie, mm -hmm. they seemed like they were pretty real people Yeah, that you could meet. They gave enough background for everyone so everybody had a different background, but not too much background. So it wasn't just like, remember when and talking instead of like showing. Yeah. Because I like the show, Don't Tell. They only really talked about past stuff when it was important, um, which I think is a really good writing technique. The gore was actually, in a horror sense, was pretty good. And I like that they didn't shy away from representing racism and, and culture because... 
sometimes when we try to be too clean cut and too sanitary with talking about bad things that happened in the past, I think we don't realize how bad things were at some point. And that gives us danger of repeating them. And, you know, we see that today with, like, there's still civil rights issues going on in the United States. And so let's just treat the fact that there are probably still people out there who probably would buy this board game. And there's, like, also, like, a lot of heart, like, Lisa and Dwayne's, like, friendship kerfuffle. Yeah. Because Lisa doesn't tell Dwayne that she's back with her boyfriend. And, you know, and also, like, I love that... <laughs> Everybody, like, had telekinetic powers, yes. was, like, talking with, through facial expressions. I did love that. That's like and they the, established it early on. That's one of the funny, uh, that's to me one of the funnier moments in the latter half of the film is when yeah. uh, two characters are talking telepathically <laughs> and then the killer can hear them too. Like, I, I was like, okay, that's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, most everyone survived, which I liked. Mm-hmm. And, okay, the end joke with the hose. Yeah. I fucking dropped my phone because I was both like, I can't believe they went there. But I was like, that, that was real good dark humor. Like, but it was really like, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Because that's another, I guess if you're not American, you might not understand the significance of young black people being hosed down by a fire hose. Unfortunately, that happened in the city we're closest to, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch Rustin, they t- they talk about that incident, actually. They went out with a bang. For sure. Yeah. Also, I liked the joke about, like, well, we don't call the police. If we call police fire people, they don't have guns. And yeah. I was like, that is actually very smart. That is smart, yeah. Okay, my biggest con, though, for this movie is the villain. Hmm. Or the, I guess not technically the, well, one of the killers. The orchestrator of this whole thing. So... Uh, I think probably was maybe the weakest part for you. Uh, one of them, because yeah, so Taylor, Taylor's figured it out, and one of the first tipping points for Taylor <laughs> is that he was an Android user, because Taylor already knew that iPhone doesn't let bad guys like use their their products in the movie. For me, the big thing was is that oh. like in the beginning of the movie, Allison, when she's talking to Officer White. She says all eight of our names are on, like, the rental agreement. Mm. And then I'm like, but there's nine characters. So I already knew there was, like, an odd one out in mm. the beginning. And to me, it was obvious who it was. Well, I didn't catch the eight-person one. But you pretty much meet everyone but Shanika and Clifton up front. And then there's this little interlude with Shanika's stopping at this, like, country store on the way there. And there was this creepy, she calls him Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. It's one of the redneck twins that eventually will be revealed to be one of the killers. And she's walking through the aisle and she runs into this guy, Clifton. And like, Shanika is like probably the most, up until this point, the most like, quote unquote, exaggerated character. But she still seems like a person you would meet. Yeah. Because she just like seems to have a very big personality. And she's just, like, quote-unquote, on. You know what I mean? So I was like, I still was believing that she was a real person. And then she runs into this guy, Clifton, and, like, he is, like, Steve Urkel and Carlton had a child. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, Steve Urkel is from Family Matters, and uh, Carlton is from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. 
again, references from our time as children. But, like, he talks like fucking Steve Urkel. And I was just like, how? And he's, like, doing these weird body movement things. I don't know if they were just, like... Because, again, I just saw this actor in another show, and he's very, like, chill. And I was like, I don't know if, like, he just thought, like, it was going to be more of, like, a caricature-y kind of, like, movie. Like, I remember if Scary Movie is one of their influences for this movie, of the writer's influences, you know, there is the character, what the, I don't remember what they call them. One of the Waynes brothers is the, is the, is the brother that is, like, high all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a big, and he's always like, like, oh, I'm high. And it's like the big joke. I'm like, maybe he thought it was going to be more like that. But like, it, he stands out like a sore thumb. And so what I thought was going to happen is that Clifton was going to like have this nerd persona and be the quote unquote Android user, which I'm an Android user. So offended. Da, da, da. <laughs> but I thought like maybe it was going to turn out that it was all an act, like the character at the end of Scary Movie. Mm. That, that happens with and I was like oh so it's gonna be like clever like but then it ends up like that's just how he acts and I was like so yes the guy that was not technically invited Clifton the nerdy guy ends up and also like the killer the motive was kind of weird and out of left field cause the rest of the movie they set up a lot of the things like they set up that Allison's biracial and her dad's white, so she's the one to like suggest that they split up. Split up, yeah. And they say the thing about Nomdi being from Africa, and they make jokes about that. And then they're like, "Oh, see, you have to be the blackest." Blah blah blah, all this stuff. But like, I feel like someone should have mentioned, like, didn't I thought he was like in jail or something, or you know, like. So instead, he's just like, oh, yeah, the last Juneteenth party I attended with you guys, y'all got me really drunk. And then I killed a woman driving oh. home and spent oh, time in jail. It was, it was, he lost at spades. And I have to admit, I know yes. nothing about spades. So that was like, so, I, I don't guess, either. Yeah. So I'm like, I, that's my whiteness so. showing because that's, that's like a yes. symbol of like his, I guess he didn't feel like he was black enough to fit in with him because he lost at spades. And that's why he drank so much and he got the, killed the girl in the driving accident um, yeah but yeah that's a great point that you brought up because you would think he was in jail for four years you think they would have heard that he was in jail yeah. at some point yeah and it's because every other part of the script was like set up really well and like had a lot of set ups and payoffs so i was kind of like i know it was an improv script situation mm -hmm. but like it can't it wasn't that improv they still had like a a structure to the script they did at least have like the game of spades at the beginning and they wouldn't let him play because mm -hmm. he was like, I don't really know how to play it. Uh, but yeah, I thought I just knew who's a killer, like who was organizing it. But then it gave me a lot of questions because like the person, because there's like so many plot holes when this is the, the, you know, the villain, the killer. How did Clifton make sure Morgan and Sean rented the right cabin? Did he list the cabin? Did he offer the owner something other than the thousand dollars? Or did he just find out where it was and just hope that there would be some racist basement dwellers that had already rigged the house? Like I, I, I'm, or maybe they're already racist people who had these this rigging up. Because I'm also like, is it because he's quote unquote a nerd that he was able to figure out all of this intricate door lock system, or did they already have that and he's just using that? 
I don't know. It leaves a lot of plot holes. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It felt like a weak reveal, honestly. Yeah, it made sense that it would be him because he was the outsider. But is it a twist? It's only a twist because you think he's dead for a second. No, I agree. I agree. And also the mask that the two brothers wear, that the twins wear, it's like the smile is crooked, which is like another indicator that it was him. So there's yeah, all these like, he has like a He purposefully does a downturn on one side of his lip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that supposed to have happened from the... The car accident where he accidentally killed the lady or was he always like that? Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like a lot of choices for that particular actor that I was just like, okay. And it is very like open. It does set up where there could be a sequel because they basically end up kicking him into the well where he dumps the bodies of the, yeah. the two characters killed at the beginning of the film. I feel so bad. I forgot their names. Sean and Morgan. But it's also a choice because after they kick him in the well, you hear him laughing. So it's like either it's like, oh, it's yeah. like the echo of the laughter in the mines or it's like, oh, he's still alive. But either way, it sets it up. Yeah. This one, they said, if we do a sequel, it'll be, like, the same characters, like, the Scary Movie franchise. Oh, okay, okay. Unlike something like Knives Out, where it's a different cast of characters. Yes, every time. Which has, with just been wall connecting them, yeah. Yes, because Scary Movie had Brenda and... What Cindy? the fuck is Anna Ferris's? Is it Cindy? Cindy. Okay. Like, yeah. No, Cindy. 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 Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brenda and Cindy are in... Every, I know from one to four, they're both in it. I know the Waynes Brothers characters were in the first two. Yeah. But I think all the other characters kind of like rotated in and out. But I, I assume they're probably, I think everyone thinks of like, Scary Movie 3 came out when I was in high school. So obviously I attached myself to that one a lot because I got it on DVD for my birthday one year. But like looking back, Scary Movie 1 and 2 are like, a very specific vibe. I'll never forget. So we moved down here in December of 2001. And while our home was being built, we were staying at my grandma's house, which was going to be in the land next door. And we, me and my parents and my older brother and younger brother all watched Scary Movie 2 in the back bedroom. I'll never, ever That's a vibe. forget that. Well, it was funny. But, you know, to this day, uh, me and my brother are like, grab my good hand. Like, to this day. Oh, yeah. And I will say... I do think the pacing and the short worked better. Yeah. But I liked the little interlude where they were playing the game because, like, they do, like, a bunch of trivia. Like, which Aunt Vivian character do you, is better? Or, or what? Oh, no, I'm sorry. When was Aunt Viv on Fresh Prince recast? Yeah. Which, if you didn't know about that, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was, it was a broadly popular show. Everyone watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That and Saved by the Bell. Everyone was watching it. And Aunt Viv was originally played by Janet. I can't remember if she pronounces her last name Hubert or Hu- or Hubert, but I think it's Hubert. Janet Hubert was originally Aunt Viv. And then apparently she didn't get along very well with the production staff and Will Smith. And Will Smith was the big vehicle because he was already like a pretty famous, like, quote unquote, family friendly rapper. He and DJ Jazzy Jeff had a bunch of pretty big hits and like um, a lot of hits. And so he was he was the big deal of that show. And they offered her like a like kind of a shitty deal to come on to season four. And then she was like, oh, uh, no, thank you. And so they recast Aunt Viv as Daphne Reed. Personally, as a child watching that show, because um, this is the early 90s, I didn't really understand like actor contracts back then. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, what? Why does Aunt Viv look and sound like a different person? 
And no, of course, like, nobody really acknowledged it. Maybe there were, like, in-jokes in the script, and I just wasn't catching on as a child. But I just remember, like, so that, to me, was very funny. And then they had the reference where they're like, name all the black characters on Friends. Yeah. Which is not as many. I was like, oh, that show does not have many black characters. Except I was like, I do remember Aisha Tyler. Because I really like Aisha Tyler. She's you know, Lana in Archer, among many other things. And she's fucking hilarious. I was like, ooh, that is a, a definite, like, pointing out, like, how different back then was. But then I love the answer is supposed to be like, I don't watch Friends. How am I supposed to know? Yeah. And it was like, I was like, oh, they tried to answer. They answered four people. Yeah, but it was it was really funny. That part was really funny, and that's the strong. That's the part that's pretty much almost directly from the sketch. So, yeah, I just I feel like even so, I though I had some flaws and some reservations about part of the movie. I do think for like a short to full length movie, this is one of the better ones because a lot of times like you'll see these really cool like horror shorts, and then they'll expand them, and they'll be very disappointing. I don't feel like this was disappointing. I just felt like, one, I am not the intended audience for this movie, and therefore I was not going to get every joke. But I knew that going in. And two, I do think the pacing, if we just picked it up like a hair, and maybe leaned a little more into comedy, and less into like trying to balance the comedy and horror, I think maybe it would have been a little more enjoyable. But I don't know. I wonder, I'm curious how other people feel about it because honestly like i remember hearing that it was coming to theaters but i don't personally know a lot of people that have seen it because it just came on streaming not too long ago it was interesting too that premiered and i i know why they decided to release it the weekend of juneteenth i get that but it's also like from its premiere to toronto too it's like premiere in theaters it was like almost a full-fledged year yeah and i wonder if that was just like because it was at a film festival and a lot of times those contracts can take a while, mm-hmm. those distribution contracts. But also, like, I mean, what was it? Master was released at the Sundance, like, in, like, January, and then, like, was re- released on Prime in, like, June. Yeah, a lot of the Sundance that movies year. have quick turnarounds, it feels like. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, this one I felt like it was an abnormally long time from premiere to... Uh, release in theaters, which maybe slowed it down a little bit, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It did make $18 million, mm-hmm. and it had, like, a $5 million budget. Yeah, it definitely made so its So even budget. with, like, yeah. So even if you factor in, like, advertising revenue, which is usually, like, the same amount as your budget, they're still making $8 million. Yeah. That's pretty good for, like, I would call this an indie horror, because it's not really, like, a big budget movie. $5 million is nothing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Although, like, the director they got is a big budget director. Yeah. But I feel like it seems more of a passion project for this director than anything else. Because, like, you know, but he's pretty known for doing a lot of, like, uh, directing movies that are pretty integral to African-American culture. Especially, like, Barbershop is a big one. Like, I mean, everybody saw Barbershop. I saw Beauty Shop in theaters. Because, again, I'm a Queen Latifah stan. Um, But, yeah, yeah, I would say, like, I would recommend this movie. Especially, like... If you're, if you're black, you probably will get more of the jokes than we did, to be honest. Yeah. But I still enjoyed this movie thoroughly. I especially really liked Dwayne. Yeah. I thought it was really fun. I really liked... 
I liked the Lisa Nomdi thing because I was like, oh god, he's gonna be like cheating on her, and they didn't follow that trope. I really liked Shania, like, I, I liked how, like, when they split up, they didn't abandon each other, except for that one part with Dwayne, and that was a misunderstanding. I also really liked that, like, it was more about friendship, and, like, I was a little nervous that the Namdi lisa thing was gonna just be them, like, fucking. Yeah. Because, like, they get a- alone, and, like, all of a sudden, like, R&B music starts behind. I was like, oh, this movie's taking a turn. But then, like, they don't really show much of anything, and then they just make a joke about, like, I smell dicks or something. Yeah. which was very funny but i did really like that it was more about like the friendships of people and i also liked that they took care of all the killers which i applaud especially lisa just braining that one guy that was fantastic in the smashing his brains not in the inappropriate testicle joke way but i liked it and it was nice to see like people take back the power kind of thing so but i will say you know, the last couple years, um, like, for Black History Month, we've always tried to, like, do at least one film from Black creators for Black audiences because, you know, it's always good to, one, give everyone's voice a voice. <laughs> Who's not a bad person? <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, we're not going to give neo-Nazis voices. But, like, give everybody a voice. And also, it's really nice to go out of your, you know, your insular space and, like, learn more about other people and other cultures. And we found some, like, really cool ones. But this was, I think, the first one since Bad Hair that was just fun. Yeah. Because I feel like almost every other one has been either, like, a, a drama, like Eve's Bayou, which I love Eve's oh, yeah, Bayou. It's, it's probably, like, one of my favorite finds of doing this podcast was, like, I didn't even know this movie existed. And it's, like, one of my favorites now. And, like, Ganja and Hess, which was, like... A very cool movie to talk about historically, but it was, like, very depressing. Yeah. And also, it was a B-movie, so there was a lot of improv. You know, it's been a lot of, like, depressing. I think we did... Did we do Nanny for Black History Month, too? I can't remember if it was, we may if it was February or if it was closer to summer. Which we don't... Like, we, we're not going to only feature Black creators yeah. in Black History Month. But it seems weird to not do a movie by a black creator during Black History Month. Why not just have the chance when you have it? Or like Pride Month. Seems weird not to do a movie by a queer creator or queer creators if it's Pride Month. You know, might as well. And as we've already discussed, civil rights issues still happening. So it's nice that a movie kind of talks about that stuff, but it also is in a humorful way. And so this one's a little more, I would say, enjoyable to watch. It's a little more fun. What was your rating out of 10? I'm going to be honest. I, I gave it, I was in between a 6.5 and a 7. I honestly just leaned a little bit more towards the 6.5. I was interested and invested the whole movie. Like I said, I really liked the characters. I really liked the friendships they had. I thought there was funny moments. And like I said, I know this movie wasn't made for me as as a white person. I'm not offended by that. I just, I guess I was wishing for something more. And the short kind of gave me, I think, a little bit more of what I was wishing for, which is more rapid paced humor, uh, which you brought up too. I think the pacing probably affected my rating a little bit, honestly. I, I agree. I gave it a 7 out of 10 because mm-hmm. I, I genuinely enjoyed watching it i had fun watching it also didn't feel like they were making fun of like non-black people you know it wasn't like a mean-spirited thing and if you like spoofs on scary movies you will 
really like this movie. It does spoof on a lot of scary movie tropes. And I like the fact that the poor ranger was like, was a nice guy and was quote unquote one of the good ones. But he died because like, I don't blame them for not trusting him. (laughs) Because I don't think I would have trusted that man either. Because in the horror movie, you trust that person, and then he ends up killing you, and you're like, ah. Also, I liked that there was a third mask. True. That Clifton probably could have used, and I just realized that just now. What was your um, Grindhouse Girls rating for this? So, uh, I ended up rating it, I, I was trying to come up with all kinds of things, but I ended up rating it A. So, rated A for okay. Arrows, Adderall, and Anthems. <laughs> I did like the Adderall joke where Allison was like moving around like she was tripping balls on Adderall. I took Adderall one time and that is exactly how I felt. I hated yeah. it. I was like, I will never, ever, ever, ever take Adderall again. Oh, we didn't even talk about the anthem part. Where is it Allison or Lisa? Oh, I think it's Allison that remembers the anthems. Like yeah. a little bit of the second verse. Yeah. Allison remembers the second verse of the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Um, but I did, that was a really funny joke too. Cause everyone was like, everyone knows the first verse, but can you sing the second verse? And everyone's like, oh, which fair. I didn't know the second verse. Um, I had two ratings and the first one was, I feel like pretty obvious. Rated B for board games, boondocks and besties for the win. Aww. Cause they win. Um, but I kind of like the second one cause it kind of rhymes. Uh, rated R for Rosé Drinkers for Shanika, uh, Redneck Creepers, and Reunion Ruiners. Yeah, I kind of like R too, I think. So I think, so next week, well, the next Sidetracks is going to be our big Oscars episode, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Where we're going to talk about who we pick for our top. Like, temperate. I think we usually do best, yeah, we usually like best picture, actor, the acting categories, director, I think we usually do music. I think, and we do writing, adapted, and original script. And writing. Yeah, I think those are our things. Yeah. So we don't really go into, like, costume, <clears throat> production, anything like that, so. Right. But we'll we'll kind of go through what our picks are and where you can watch them. I'm working on, because I usually put it out that week about, like, hey, where can I stream them? But um, I will say, the week after, we're not choosing the movie, Ryan is. Many movies. And I don't know, I don't know, I think we're supposed to play yes, this voicemail. we are. So we, we received a voicemail from Ryan. We were not allowed to listen to it until tonight's recording. So it, you're hearing yes. mine, Katie's reaction to whatever he's picked for us for the first time here and now. So, and I'm going to play this, but we're going to try to stay quiet because I think he's going to put a better version of this. So here we go. Hey, Grindhouse Girls. So, I was sitting here editing this week's episode and thinking of all the movies y'all have covered, and I thought it was about time we threw in a little mayhem. So, I'm pulling the producer card and commandeering the next episode as a miserable, moody movie. The movie I'm having y'all watch is so bad that I had only heard of it in reference to a Riff Tracks episode, but turns out you can watch it all on Plex or Peacock, of all places. So get your coat hangers ready, because I'm talking about <laughs> 2010's Birdemic, oh. Shock and Terror. I'll see y'all soon with a flock of questions. Yes! Okay. Birdemic. So, okay. Birdemic, which I personally own on DVD, because 
I think yourmoviesucks.org covered it when it first came out when I was in college. And it, I was determined to find it. So I do have it on DVD. I have not made you watch it yet, Britt. No, I have not watched it Be- at all. So this is because new to me. you're not... You're not as into the so bad they're good movies. That is true. That is true. Um, Neither is Scott, because I tried to get him to watch it, and he got halfway through and was like, does anything fucking happen in this movie? And I was like, "This, uh, well, it will. Um, So I am personally, Ryan, incredibly excited. I've seen clips of it. Um, I've seen (laughs) clips of it. That's about all I can say. Um, So, yeah, it's a... it's happening it's happening it's happening it's happening okay so birdemic shock and terror is um it's like right after the room it came out it came out as well and uh it is written and directed by james Wynn. and basically it's a bunch of like very inexperienced actors and an inexperienced director trying to do, like, this big action movie. But it's also kind of about climate change. Mm. So it gets a little... Pre- but it gets kind of preachy about it. In a... In not, like, an exciting way. But all of the directing choices are, like, wrong. And all of the direction he gave the actors are, like, wrong. And so it's very funny. So if you like The Room, you will most likely like this one. There's also, I own the Rift Tracks track because you can buy their audio tracks. Rift Tracks is the, the people that used to, some of the people that did Mystery Science Theater 3000 in the early 2000s, like Mike and uh, Kevin and James. Kevin, Mike, Kevin. And I'm blanking on the third person's name. Um, but, anyways, um, they do like, it's basically Mystery Science Theater, but they make tracks. That you can, like, play along while you watch movies. They also do live versions. So I don't know if the Rift Tracks live is available, but that's also very fun to watch. But I'm excited because this movie is one of my favorite to torture my friends with. Mm, Okay. But that'll be exciting. And, yeah, it'll be something fun after, like, our Oscars movies, which usually have a lot of sadness to them very serious um but yeah so that'll be fun uh birdemics on peacock and i think he said plexi Mm -hmm. so i'm sorry if i've i haven't sounded as enthusiastic this week just because i'm ill and my throat is starting to hurt again so i'm gonna stop coughing and stop talking too much but um since this is like the last week of black history month if you haven't already watch some films from black creators we've covered several um, but if there's any that you want us to watch throughout the entire year, um, please send us those recommendations or any movies you want to, you want us to cover or watch. Um, also like, uh, be good, stay well, uh, stay careful. Um, I don't, my, this whole month has been like nothing but just running into walls for me. So just be careful and take care of yourself and um your loved ones and we love you guys and we thank you so much for listening and um yeah thanks so much yeah and wash your hands because people are gross out there i always say this every single time spay to know your pets and also this is the time of year too uh, before we get into summer celebrations in July specifically with fireworks, I know we're a little bit away, but it's always creeps oh, up God, on us. Yeah. Microchip the babies, microchip them. Um, yeah. Other than that, it's like Katie said. Uh, unfortunately, and get dog earmuffs. Yeah, 
I'm investing in them later this CBD year because treats. Gizmo cannot take them. Yeah, some some pups' CBD treats work really well. We haven't tried those with our pups. Luckily, my kiddos don't seem too afraid of fireworks knocking on woods. Um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, February, I feel bad for people born in February. It's not my favorite month of the year either, if I'm being honest. But, you know... Um, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through. The days are about to get longer and sunnier, and the sun won't set so early, so we'll be able to do um, more enjoyable things versus driving home in the dark at 4.30. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great, guys. Uh, we love you. Take care of yourselves and one another, and we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Stay, Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye. 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 Try not to cough. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.